you that this morning, if you would, we were going to continue through our study through John. So if you would turn with me to John chapter 17, we're going to be looking at 17 through 19. But before we get there, I just want to uh, just provide some introduction and opening. And uh, just in case you have not had the opportunity to meet me yet and you have not picked up on it yet, I'm James White. I'm the new youth pastor here at Spring Hill. My wife Sarah is with me and our daughter Lottie is in the nursery. Hopefully I'll just stop announcing that every time I preach after this one. I just wanted to do it this one more time just in case you haven't met me yet. And if you haven't and you would like to meet me, come and see me afterwards and I would love to meet you and get to know you. This morning, we're excited to be here. We're excited to be a part of this church. We're excited to see God work in and each and every one of your lives, as well as the church's lives. But I'm also extremely excited about being able to preach God's word to you. Um, and on that same note, though, I'm also excited to be preaching through John. I really enjoy the book of John. I, it's one of my favorite gospels. It is one of my favorite of the New Testament letters. So much so that before I came here, as most of you know, I was a pastor in Vernon. And this was what I was preaching through week in and week out. It's what I love. I, I love this study. Now, I, I walked much slower than Caleb did. And so I had only made it to chapter 10 and he started before me. And so, uh, but as we're continuing in it this morning, the reason why I love the book of John so much is because John is clear. In presenting and telling us why he is writing this letter. See, in John chapter 20, 30 and 31, he says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which was not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that by in believing you would have life in his name. That's exactly what the, the logo or the image behind me or in front of me would say, is that you may have life. This is what John's purpose is in writing this letter. And so as we expand upon the text this morning, it's very possible that there's going to be two responses to the text. First and foremost, it'll be that if you're here and you don't know Christ, that you would come to understand that Jesus is God himself that was wrapped in flesh, that died on the cross for your sins and for my sins. And in that, that you would understand that he is God. And in understanding he is God, you would believe in him. And in believing in him, you would have life. Now, for others here, it's very possible that God, that we would come to understand that God is not only this author of our salvation, but it's also the primary agent of our sanctification. Not only is he the primary agent of our sanctification, and taking just a step farther, that we would understand that he has saved us and sanctified us for his purpose. And that is exactly what we're going to be looking at this morning, is that we're sanctified for a purpose. Now, when I was preparing this sermon and really reviewing it, uh, and just so you know, I was at the beach last week, so I was doing this beach side, uh, just, just to throw that out there. But as I was reviewing my notes and walking through it, I, I really come back to a, a moment last Sunday. Now, last Sunday, Sarah and I and Lottie had the joy and the privilege of going and eating with the Plowmans and the Rileys at Mr. and Mr. Jim's and Miss Judy's house. And after we ate and had some wonderful food and some great uh, brownies and ice cream and all of those great, wonderful things. Uh, Sam and I and Pete, uh, Sam Riley to be specific, uh, Sam Riley, Pete and I were all sitting around the table and we were just discussing, talking about different things, life. Uh, they were telling me a little bit about their story, what they've been, where I've been. Uh, and in the midst of that, Sam asked me a question. He said, you know, uh, just really asking me, did, 
what is my thoughts on going to seminary online? Is it better than going on campus? Is campus life better? Um, and in that conversation, I really just explained to him, and Pete really affirmed it and uh, kind of agreed with me, so I feel good about that, is that it was circumstantial, that it really depends on your situation, depends on your life, where God has you. For me, I, I've done my, my all of my education except for my two years at Belleville Online and uh, my seminary being part of that. And and so I, as I explained to Sam that it's all circumstantial, right? It's depending on what God would have for you in that moment, in that part of your life. See, most most of life is this way. Most of life, it's all circumstantial to your circum, to your situation and understanding and praying and seeking God's wisdom and seeking the wisdom of those around you to understand what God would have for you to do. Um, that is why what we see is the number one question of people entering into an old, early adulthood is the question of what should I do with my lives? Um, and the reality is there's no right answer. There's nothing that I or another pastor or another individual could, that could tell anyone that this is what God has for you specifically in ways of a career or where to live or what to do or any of that. But the joy about God's word and the joy about approaching a text like this this morning is that there is something that I can say without any doubt that God is calling each and every one of us to. And so as we come to God's word this morning, let's look at verses 17 through 19 in chapter 17. It says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we clearly see in this scripture that your word is truth. And so, Father, as we approach your word, God, I pray that you would reveal its meaning to each and every one of us. But not only revealing it to us so that we would know more or that we would be puffed up with pride or arrogance, Father, but that we would know more and then take and use what we have come to understanding God and maybe for some it's just a reminder of the truths of your word God I pray that the outcome of this would be the one that you would have ultimately God but I pray ultimately that it would be that we would go and be your hands and your feet to the world around us starting with our community but taking it much farther than that God as we come to a time of expanding on your word take me and hide me behind it let me trust in it above all else and your son's perfect and holy name amen this morning, as we approach this topic, what we're going to be looking at is this idea of sanctification. And in just a moment, I'm going to define that a little bit for us. But I really wanted to begin to just address these two principles that we find in Scripture. One is this idea of faith alone. Uh, and you can turn with me with your light, but I'm going to use a good bit of Scriptures in the sermon. So if you want to listen or you can turn, whichever is your preference. But Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul is writing to this church in Galatia, and he says these words. He says, Yet we know... That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works the law has by works of the law no one will be justified. So what is clear in this is that we're saved by faith alone, not by works. That we're justified, that we have brought into salvation. By grace and faith in Christ alone, not by anything that we bring to the table. Now, what's necessary for us to understand in that, though, is that 
A faith that justifies is not faith alone. And what I mean by that is the same thing that James tells us in, uh, in James chapter 2, verse 17, where he says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So many people think that Paul and James are, are, are contradictory in one another or against one another. But really, they're, they're saying the same thing, but just different sides of the same coin. And what they're getting at here is that we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith alone and Christ alone. But if we have come to Christ in salvation, then we will have works. Not if attempts to save ourselves, but because we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. It's this idea of receiving this gift that is so abundantly clear that it's not of ourselves. So therefore we go and do the same to those around us. And so as we look at this, the reason why I wanted to start with this is as we approach this topic of sanctification, really what we're going to see in this is not only is our salvation a work of God, but our sanctification is primarily a work of God. But before I get there, I want to kind of look at where this is in our text. Uh, Because we've been walking through John chapter 17, I guess for... Uh, there was a re- revival in between, so it's been about two to three weeks now. And really what we see going on here in this scripture is that this is in the midst of Jesus' high priestly prayer. And in this prayer, he is essentially a moment which he, Jesus prays for himself, his disciples, and all that will believe in him. Now, John chapter 17 is an amazing thing because what we see specifically in this is that Jesus is praying for us that believe and trust in him. This is a great, great encouragement for us. But in this prayer, we see that he prays for his glorification. We see that he prays for the disciples to be protected and sanctified, but also that all who believe in him would be perfected. Now, I told you earlier I was going to come and define this word sanctification. And really to do that, I'm going to read about two or three different definitions for you just to kind of make it make sense a little bit. Uh, and the first one is this one by this gentleman, this theologian named Burkhoff. And he's, he defines it this way. It says, the gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which he delivers the justified sinner from the pollution of sin, renews his whole nature in the image of God, and enables him to perform good works. Now, we see a lot going on there. But there's another definition by another theologian or uh, named Grudem that's of our modern day. And he says it this way, A progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Now, the reason why I, I, I wanted to read those two for us this morning is because I simplified them. I, I kind of approached this topic and did some studying. Uh, and really come with this definition is that sanctification is primarily the work of God in which a believer's life in which he enables them to be more like Christ and to do his good works now we can really simplify it even farther that sanctification is being more like Christ and so as we approach this topic really what we're going to be looking at in these verses is I'm going to start by looking at verse 19. I know that's a little out of order, but I want to look at verse 19, and then we're going to look at 17 and 18. And what we're going to see in all of this is that there there is many forms of sanctification that occurs in the believer's life. We will see that this morning's text is that um, that we are sanctified primarily through the Word of God, but we are also sanctified by God and for God's commissioning in our lives which is made possible through Christ's perfect submission to the Father's will. So verse 19, this is really the the first point I have in my sermon. So if we want to throw that on the screen for us, uh, what we really see in this verse 19 is that sanctification was made possible by by Jesus' consecration. 
And so as we look at this, I want to begin by looking at the gospel itself. And I know I, I briefly talked about this a moment ago, but it's really important that we begin with the gospel when we look at a conversation like this. And that is the gospel is simple. And I know this is something that you hear week in and week out, but I want to reinforce it again in this moment. The gospel is really this, this idea that God is a perfect and holy God that is without error, without sin, without problem, without any faint of error in him. And because he is all of this, he is also righteous. And because of his, his righteousness, he has to judge that is which, which is, is wicked. But the issue is that man is wretched, depraved, and sinful creatures that have rebelled against God and deserving of his judgment. That's what we all were. If you're here and you know Jesus, that's where you were before Christ intervened in your life. If you're here and you have never come to Christ in salvation, I want to break the news to you just a little gently here is that you are sinful and in that you are going to receive judgment from God one day unless Christ intervenes in your life. And that's the joy of the gospel. And, and I love this, this book that I really reflect on most times when I look at this. He uses this word, but, B-U-T. And it's a fantastic word, B-U-T. I want to make that an emphasis there, B-U-T. Uh, this is a fantastic word here because this but means something else happened. So God's perfect, God's holy, God's righteous man is not. Man is sinful and deserving of the wrath of God. But God intervened. And God intervened by sending his only son into the world. And in doing that, Jesus, God himself, became flesh. And in becoming flesh, he was perfectly God and man at the same time, being able to live a perfect sin-free life, but also being able to lay down his life so that we could have salvation in him. Making it possible that we would then be able to respond to the gospel. To respond to this good news. And in all reality, some, everyone responds in one way or another. They either respond by accepting it and depending on Christ for salvation. Or they respond by depending on themselves or something else to save them. And so as we look at this, the reason why I begin with the gospel. And that's why I asked this question as I was thinking through this. Why start with the gospel when explaining sanctification? Centrally because sanctification is made possible through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. You cannot be sanctified. You cannot be more like Christ. You cannot do any good work that is of any measure unless you have first come to Christ in salvation. And so we must start there. And what we really see this in this prayer though is this idea in verse 9 where it says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus, in his prayer and in this plea of God to sanctify his people, he's not praying for the world, but he's praying for his. Caleb used a beautiful analogy last week in explaining this and saying that he loves his child. And I can relate to that now. About seven months ago, we had a baby, so I can really relate to that. Is I love my daughter. But, and I love other people's children as well. But there's none other child out there that I love the same way I love my daughter. This is what Jesus is getting out here in the love in which the Father has for his own and not for the world. He loves his own. Now, as I said earlier, that was Caleb's analogy, not my original. So I want to give you credit there, man. Um, but what we see in this is that Jesus is praying that God would sanctify those that were not of the world but rather than those that are of the world. So meaning that he's praying for those that would believe and trust in him. This is what he means when he says, and for their sake. In this verse 19, for their sake. And so, as we continue, we get to this word that is really significant for us this morning. When he says, I consecrate myself. Now, what's very unique about this word, and, and I'm not going to try to use any famous language, uh, any Greek or anything like that. But what's very unique about this word is that the word here, this root word here that is used um, it's the same root word that is used when Jesus is referring to sanctify and sanctified. 
Or, yeah. And what's also unique about it, though, and the reason why I wanted to emphasize this is that if you're here and you have any other translation besides the ESV, if you have the KJV, New KJV, NIV, any of those, it, yours is going to say sanctified there. And so I want to make this point to you because what we see in here is that the ESV, for whatever reason, made a decision to put consecrate here. And I think they did for good reason. And that reasoning, most likely being when we as individuals in this day and this time think about sanctification, what we're thinking about is being more like Jesus. But rather, when we think about Jesus being sanctified, it's not that he was becoming more like God because he was already God. So what it means here is to be consecrate, which means to be set apart. Now what's so amazing about this in Jesus' text here, he says, I consecrate myself. This was something that Jesus, he himself did. That's what we see in John chapter 10, verse 18. It says, no one takes it from me. Jesus is speaking of his life here. He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. See, Jesus is God's son and God's son and God the father is perfect unity and working uh, his perfect will out in the world. And but Jesus himself is laying down his own life. When that's so important for us to understand here is that he's being set apart, but he's laying his own life down. Why though? Why is he laying his life down? To fulfill the God, the Father's will. To fulfill the Father's will in this circumstance. And this is a divine appointment of Christ himself to die on the cross so that he would save those that would believe and trust in him. Why that is so, so important is that this divine will and this divine plan of God is really for twofolded reasons. First and foremost is that Christ would become this burnt offering so that those that would believe in him would have salvation. There's this whole theme in John. But secondly, so that those that have placed their faith in him would also dedicate themselves to the same saving reign and mission of the world. So what, what, what I'm getting at here is that Jesus was sanctified. He was set apart. He was consecrated for a purpose. And this is our example this morning is that we too are set aside for a purpose. Now we're going to look at this in more detail in just a moment. Before we get there, what we see in verse 19 is simply that Jesus is setting himself aside for salvation, sanctification, and the work of his sheep. Then we get to verse 17. Verse 17 is my second point that we're going to be looking at here. And it's that sanctification is primarily through God's word. That this is so significant because when we think of sanctification, there's many, many things that we are sanctified in. And there's a lot of things that we're sanctified in that just happens in day-to-day lives where God uses to grow us to be more like Jesus and to have more faith, faith and trust in him. But Jesus doesn't pray for any of those others. He's praying specifically that the Father would sanctify them in, a, in the word. But we're going to look at that in just a moment. For first and foremost, we see this idea of sanctify them. As Caleb has explained while walking through this prayer, this is the moment before Jesus is betrayed, arrested, sentenced, and crucified. And in this prayer, he has already said that he has been uh, he has been in the world, but he is no longer here. And what he's getting at here is that not that he's not physically here anymore, but he's saying, "Look, I am about to die. I'm about to lay my life down, and I'm going to go away. And when I go away, I, I, I'm praying for those that I am leaving behind that the Father would take care of them." It's a it's a it's a beautiful beautiful picture of Christ's love for his sheep. But then we go on to see this. Uh, what I want to point out here, though, also is this idea of sanctification is more than just God working in our lives. Though it is primarily that. 
Because we can only do what we do if God is working in and through our hearts through the Spirit of God. In which he sends to, for us that we would have these things. And so we see though in this text though is that Jesus, that the Father, that God himself is the primary agent of our sanctification. And though that is important to note, we should also understand that we're responsible for our sanctification as well to some extent. And how we see that to be be true in our lives is that we are the ones that will make the decisions to be in God's word. That we were the ones that are going to make prayer a priority. We were the ones that are going to make gathering with God's people a priority. We're the ones that are going to make proclaiming the gospel priority in our lives. But how we see that God is the primary agent in this is that God through the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do so and to teach us in each and every one of these moments. That we are responsible to do these things but God is the one that is using these things to sanctify us, to teach us, to grow us. And so as we approach this idea of sanctification and understanding that God is the primary agent, we should also rightly understand is that we're not off the hook. We can't just cast all of these things aside and live like we want and seem and to trust that we're going to be more like Jesus each and every day. We cannot do that. We have to trust in his word above all else as we're about to see. But we also have to seek him in other ways in our lives. But the primary way in which Jesus is praying for here, he is praying that God would sanctify them through his word. Now, we see that in his wording here. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Now, and then he goes on, thankfully for us, to clarify what truth is. And he says, your word is truth. So Jesus here is praying that the Father would sanctify his disciples as well as sanctifying those that would come to understand and know who he is through the words of the disciples, which is us, by the word of God. Now, when I read through a text like this, and this is just how my mind works sometimes, you get to know me, um, I can be a little odd from time to time, but when I read through a text like this, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally going to remember some things. And there's two things that came to mind as I read this. And they're two on the opposite spectrum of things. The first one is a quote by one of my favorite preachers. Uh, his name is Steve Lawson. Uh, but he, he has this quote. And he says, do you, want to see the, do you want to hear the audible voice of God? We would love that, right? We would love to hear the audible voice of God, much like Moses and others in the Old Testament did. He goes on. He says, read the Bible out loud. He's probably not the only person that has ever said that, but he's the one that I heard say that the first time. And so what's amazing about that is that this is God's word to us. This is how he communicates to us. This is how he speaks to us as individuals and as those that know him. And so we trust that this is the words of God to us. The second one, though, and like I said, opposite spectrums here, is has anybody ever seen the movie A Few Good Men? You can raise your hand if you'd like. If you don't have to. A few good men. Y'all seen that movie? You're going to know what moment I'm talking about in just a second. Because it's like one of the most important moments of the entire movie. Uh, And there's really two characters in this scene. It's uh, Jack Nicholson plays Colonel uh, Colonel Jessup. And then uh, Tom Cruise plays uh, Lieutenant Daniels. And they're in this courtroom setting. And um, Daniels is really just uh, trying to get the truth out of trying to get the truth out of Jessup and there's this big just argument that's happening and he says I want the truth and does anybody know the next saying what is it you can't handle the truth uh, yeah, we, we know this seems quite well. And this is, this is just what comes to mind as I read this. And why it comes to my mind is that when we approach God's word, unless God is the one working in our lives, we can't understand the truth. And so not only is this the word of God to us, 
But this is also something that we cannot understand unless God is working in our hearts to understand it. That is why when we gather on the Lord's Day to pray, we pray for God's intervention. This is why when we approach God's Word, we should be approaching it in such a way that God is going to speak into our lives. And so as we look at this, we see that the Word of God is our primary means of sanctification. Thus, it should be a priority in our lives. And really, what we see in this is really twofolded. And I, I want to first look at the church. As a church, this means that this is, if this is our primary way of sanctification and the church gathers as God's people week in and week out, the church should trust in God and depend on God and let God's word be what cultivates and makes some different things the priorities and what they should be depending on each of these areas. And what I, what I thought of, and there could be many, many more, is that our songs must reflect the word of God. Our sermons must reflect the word of God. Our teaching must reflect the word of God. Our church, church structure, our finances, our missions, our events, our programs, our trips... Our classes, they should all be grounded in God's Word. Everything that we do as a church should be centered with His Word and His Word alone. Now, I've only been here a week. And what I can honestly say is that you do a great job with this. And it's an encouragement to me and my wife and my family. And I I love that about this church so far. But I also know that we're imperfect people coming together to do something for the glory of God. So therefore, I know there's always areas in which we can improve by the revealing of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church's lives. And so I'm not trying to berate anyone or say that we should do something better or not. You do a wonderful job in this, but we're imperfect, so therefore we can grow in that. The second thing, though, is for individuals. Is that if God's Word is a priority, then... Well, this is what we should be basing our decisions on. This is what our family calendar should look like. This is what our finances should look like. This is what our family structure, our vacations, and our commitments should all be grounded on the Word of God. Because this is what we trust and depend on above all else. And this is the means in which God is sanctifying us and growing us to be more like Jesus and set apart for a purpose. And so when we look at verse 17... What we really see is that Jesus is asking the Father to enable his disciples and all who will believe in him to become more like him through his word, which is God's primary source of sanctifying his children. Verse 18, though, we continue through, and this is the third point of the message, is that sanctification is also by and for God's commission. And this is the heart of what I want to get at this morning. It's that we're set apart, that we're sanctified, and we're becoming more like Jesus for a reason and for a purpose. And we see that in this idea here. In the beginning of verse 18, it says, And uh, as you sent me into the world. Jesus is communicating with the Father and says, As you have sent me into the world. We see this most clear in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only son and whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He was sent for a purpose. God the Father set Jesus aside, sent him into the world to take on flesh of an infant. And so for a purpose. And that purpose was a brutal death upon an instrument of death, a cross. So that those that would believe and trust in him could be saved and then be sanctified. And so when we look at this, we should first understand that Jesus also was set aside for a purpose and he is our example. So if we're going to become more like Jesus, then we should understand rightly that we are being set aside as well. And so Jesus then goes on and says, so I have set them, I have sent them into the world. 
that Jesus is now sending his disciples, which is us, into the world for a reason and for a purpose. Now, first and foremost, what we see this is ultimately to glorify God. Our ultimate purpose and our chief end as man is to glorify God in everything that we do. But more specifically, and one way I just want to approach this this morning, is what we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I know you've probably heard this a thousand times. I want to read it again, though. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, the reality is that we're all called to be proclaimers of the gospel and to live the gospel out in our lives. This is what we are called to do as individuals. But this scripture goes a step farther. And this is what we really should understand about the great commissioning and what God is calling us to. It is actually more than sharing the gospel with individuals. Now, to understand rightly, we can only do that initially. We can only present the gospel, present the word of God to people. And then it is between God and them to become a believer in Christ. But this isn't a call of evangelism. This is a call of discipleship. And so in all reality, what we should be doing as individuals and as a church is making disciples of all nations. This means more than just proclaiming the cross, more than proclaiming Christ crucified, more than proclaiming who Jesus is and what he did and what he accomplished for us. This means that when one comes to Christ and salvation, then you look at that individual as a newborn baby. And then looking at them in that way, you understand that they need to be fed. You understand that they need to take care of. They need somebody to hold their hands while they learn how to walk. And they need somebody to help them in life. This is not only the pastor's calling. This is not only a deacon's calling. This is not only a Sunday school calling. This is the calling of every individual here. This is the commissioning in which God has given each and every one of us. But when you look at it like that, it's a very daunting task and a hard task. That's why I think Jesus begins in 18 the way he does and ends in 20 the way he does. Where he says, said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We not only trust in God to save and to sanctify us, but to empower us for his mission. So we're trusting him in all of these things. So when we look at verse 18... What we see is that just as Jesus was consecrated, sanctified, or set apart for a divine purpose by the Father, all who have come to him in salvation are being sanctified for a divine purpose, simply to glorify the Father in all that they do, but more specifically, to be the hands, the feet, and the mouthpieces of the gospel while discipling individuals. So this morning, as we come to a close, I do think... That is some important things about this text that we should not only understand, but some things that we should seek to do in our lives. First and foremost, as we look at this, we should understand that their salvation is found in faith in Christ alone and not of our works. If you're here and you're trusting in anything else besides Christ for salvation, my prayer would be that this is the day in which God would work in your hearts and you would believe. Secondly, though, is that sanctification is made possible through Jesus' consecration. That we are being made more like Jesus because he was the one that was originally set apart so that he could be our example. Also, we see that sanctification is primarily through God's word. That is why the word of God is so crucial in our lives. The last thing we should really understand is that sanctification is also by and for God's commissioning. 
He is calling us to something. He did not set us apart. He did not save us. He is not sanctifying us so that we can sit in a pew or so that we can receive a get out of hell free card. He is saving us for a purpose, and that purpose is to proclaim his gospel and make disciples of all nations, and then also to glorify him in everything else that we do. So, what should we try to seek to live out? And I'm going to make a point in a moment of why I use the word seek to live out. But what we're called to do from this text, as I began my sermon with an illustration of a conversation that I and Pete and Sam had, and um, Pete affirmed my words to Sam, and I, I really appreciated that, that I knew I was on the right track with my advice there. Uh, but what we see in that is that I can't, or anyone else here cannot tell you exactly what God is calling you to vocationally wise, or what God is calling you to do when to retire, where to move in retirement, if you should live in closer to your family, if you should go live closer to the grandkids or your kids. I, I, we can't tell you any of those things. But what I can confidently say by approaching God's word is that he is a calling on each and every one of our lives. He has made us for a purpose and that purpose is to glorify him. And in glorifying him, seeking to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we would disciple and develop people for God's mission. So as the music leaders come, as we go into this time of reflection of God's word, let us remember that the same God that called us to himself and the same God that has sanctifying us through his word and work is the same God that would do this in the lives of those that we pray for and share the gospel with. So we're trusting in him to do the work that we're the ones going and proclaiming. But above all else, let us rest in his sovereign power to use broken, sinful men and women such as you and I as means of bringing an individual to himself. And then lastly, if you feel beaten down because you believe that you should be farther in your sanctification or maybe you think you should look better than you really do, let's find hope in Christ because he is the one that is sanctifying us through his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for your word. It's what we trust in. It's what we depend upon. It's what we build our lives on. God, we know and understand rightly this is how you are sanctifying each and every one of us. And my prayer now is that as we have approached your word as a congregation this morning, you would continue to do so in the way that you feel fit. In your son's perfect and holy name, amen.